All right. Oh, my goodness. We are in Philippians, if you didn't know. Chapter 1 of Philippians. This morning, we're going to begin to look at verses 20 through 26. We may or may not get through them. One of the, one of the, probably one of the most popular verses is in this passage as we look at it this morning. But I want to read to you from verses 20 through 26 this morning as we get started. Um, it says, As according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith, so that your profound confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. This is quite a phenomenal passage that we're going to look at this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for our time. Lord, we thank you for the lesson we just uh, got from from Miss Aaron, Father God, concerning uh, the things that tend to, to get in our way and keep us from doing what our mission is, and that's to, to present your gospel to all who will hear, Heavenly Father. And I pray that as we go through this this morning and, and look at this strong passage and what Paul is giving us, his testimony here of, of his life and how he sees it, I pray that, that we can glean some truth from it, Father God, and we can begin to see that this should be our testimony, that this should be the way we feel, Father God, these important things concerning you and concerning life and death and what it means in you. And so, God, I ask that you would guide us through this morning. I, I pray that you just weigh heavy on our hearts to, to do something, Father God, not to just listen again and, and, and be, be refreshed in, in what we know, but, God, to take this out into the world and to use it, Father, to present that gospel to our friends and to our neighbors, to our family, to those who we meet on the street, Father, that we will share your gospel because there's a desperate need, a desperate need, Father, for your gospel to go out. And so, Lord, bless us this morning as we go through your word. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been talking to you a lot as we've gone through Philippians about this commitment that Paul is calling us to, and it's a very strong commitment. And I started thinking about Paul, and if there was ever a man who, who lived a life of commitment to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it was Paul. Paul was very dedicated, very committed to living this life for Christ. Christ had gotten a hold of him, and he was going to do everything he could to make sure that Christ's gospel went out. I want you to remember again, as, as Aaron reminded us, that Paul's in prison, and not just in prison, but he's, he's being accused of this capital crime, and, and, and he's looking at death. If he's to be found guilty, he can die. He can be put to death. And, and, and if you begin to take a look at his circumstances, for him to be delivered from this could look hopeless. He's chained to these guards 24-7. There's probably really no hope of escape. He's facing the death penalty. They want him dead. There's got to be a hopelessness, or you would think so, because death is staring him right in the face. But this passage, as I said, is one of the greatest passages of Scripture. Philippians 1.21 has really been adopted by many believers as their life verse. Verses 20, that, that, they, they've committed their lives to, to pursue that, either Philippians 1.20 or 1.21. This is here, again, the personal testimony of Paul. And what I want us to see this morning is the great marks of a great Christian believer. 
the marks of a great Christian believer. I want to look at verse 20. Again, he, he's, 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 he's just said that he's going to rejoice and, and, and that he says, for I know that, that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And he goes on and says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And so verse 20, we see the great Christian believer here has really one great expectation and hope, and that's to magnify Christ in our bodies. To magnify Christ in our bodies. I want to look at the words here for a minute. Earnest or great expectation. This, this expectation that he has, this earnest expectation. What it means here, it really is, it's to gaze into the distance with your head erect, and outstretched. There's an anticipation here. It's kind of like a watchman on a tower. If you've ever watched a watchman on a tower and they're looking for the enemy, they're making sure that everybody inside those walls is going to be safe. They're very alert. They're very watchful. Their face is out. Their necks stretched out. They want to be sure to see anything that might be approaching. And so you're gazing into the, into the distance here, and the aim is to give your attention to one object with full concentration, with eagerness, and with intensity. What it means is we begin to turn our eyes away from everything else, and we begin to focus on one object and one object alone. It's total concentration on our desire. But what's our desire? Paul's desire here was what? To, to, to do what he needed to do, to exalt Christ in everything that he did. This is his earnest expectation. His expectation and hope was, again, he's in prison, right? He's charged with this capital crime. It carries the penalty of death. And the one hope, that if you think about prisoners, people who are in prison, especially those who are on death row, really many times the one hope, the one thing that they have is maybe that, 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 that sentence would be a little bit lesser. They wouldn't face death or, or Maybe they would get out. Maybe the sentence would be, would be lessened. That would be their expectation. But when you begin to look at Paul's earnest hope and expectation here, all it was was to magnify Christ. You don't see anywhere in there where he says, well, you know, I just want to get out early. He says, I want to magnify Christ in my body. I want to, to give everything that I have to Jesus Christ. Paul's mind was not on his, on his terrible circumstances. It was on Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. He wasn't looking at anything except to exalt Christ. Isn't that amazing? As a prisoner, he wanted to guard his body from several things, I believe. I, I believe he wanted to guard his body from wandering and questioning God. Think about that. In our circumstances and trials, many times, what's the first thing we do? Why, God? Why me? Look at Lyle. And we begin to question God. Or or maybe he's guarding his body from becoming discouraged and depressed. He's sitting there. He's tied to this guard, chained to this guard. He can't really do anything without this guard with him. Think about that. Anything. He's chained to him 24-7. Can you imagine that he could get discouraged? He could get depressed. 
He wants to keep his body from becoming complacent and lethargic. He, he, you know, I think about that. All he, you might be in that circumstance and all you can think about is maybe I'll just lay on my bunk here and die. I've got nothing else. As a prisoner, he wants to guard his body from becoming inactive and, and undisciplined. My mind goes a little crazy. I love that. Do you, think, do you think Paul ever did jumping jacks with that prisoner, that prison guard? <laughs> As a prisoner, he wanted to guard his body from denying and turning away from God. From denying and turning away from God. From reacting and cursing God. God, all I've done is work for you. Why are you doing this? How many times are we in that situation? Are we doing what Paul is doing here, guarding our body from all of these? Paul knew the weaknesses of his human body. He knew the weaknesses of his mind he, he, and, and how it tends to, to, to turn towards doubt and turn towards questioning and, and maybe even some self-centeredness and some pride, maybe some boasting, maybe even some, some self-satisfaction because that's where it tends to go. And, and, and then we begin to think about indulgence and extravagance and habit and, and again becoming lethargic and complacent and lazy. All of these things he's guarding himself from, enslavement and bondage to his body and to his mind and neglecting and ignoring God. He's protecting himself from that. He says, that's my earnest expectation, that I exalt Christ in all of my circumstances. And since his conversion, Paul has totally committed himself to magnifying Christ. You know, it's interesting, I, I don't know if you've been watching any of the, the Bible AD stuff on Sunday nights. You won't be able to now. You'll have to record it. Because we're doing a marriage class, and you need to be there. Last week it was about Paul, Paul's conversion. Has anybody watched it? I do. Becky and I do. I guess we're the only ones who are really righteous here. But it was about Paul and, and how eager, they showed this eagerness. It was funny to watch how they portrayed Paul, that he's, he's walking like hundreds of yards out in front of all the other guys that are with him and they're exhausted, but he's marching forward because he's going to persecute them Christians, you know, and you see this. And then, then he gets converted and they, they show this, exci- you know, they show him being blinded and all that. And, and, and then he comes up out of the water baptized and, and he shouts and he's excited and he's ready to go to work. And that's Paul. Paul's conversion wasn't just something for everybody to look at and say, ooh, isn't he cool? Paul came out of the water and began to work. And he worked and he worked and he was committed to Christ. He was committed to exalting Christ in his body. He was committed to sharing the gospel with the world. He never turned away from that. Not even in his worst circumstances did Paul turn away from that. He's magnifying Christ. There was only one place where Christ could be magnified and seen, and that was in Paul's body. And he was going to make sure that everybody saw it. The only place that men can see Jesus Christ living now is in our bodies and through us. We're that mirror. And Paul knew that. He's that person. Jesus Christ is no longer on earth. So, so, so what happens is, is he has to be magnified through us. And Christ couldn't be seen unless Paul and others allowed Christ to magnify himself through their bodies. Allowed that. In all circumstances. 
Paul knew this. So, so he gives his body to Christ. He gives everything over to Christ. And I want you to see that reference there in verse 20 of, of by life or by death. How important is this? Paul's facing death, right? He, he, he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He didn't know what was going to happen, if he would be able to continue this ministry or if they were going to put him to death. And so he's saying to live to by life or by death. If he was to be executed, and hear me on this, what he wanted was to be found faithful. He wanted to be found as faithful. And in his death, he wanted to magnify Christ. And if he was to be declared innocent and set free, guess what he wanted to do? He wanted to magnify Christ in his body and in his life. See, I want to show you why Paul wanted Christ to be magnified in his body. That's so that he could be not ashamed of anything. Did you see that? He doesn't want to be ashamed of anything. He says, I, he says that, that, that earnest expectation and hope is that I will not be put to shame in anything. Paul knew that he was going to face the same thing that every believer is going to face, and that's the judgment seat of Christ. He knew he was going to face that. He knew that every one of us is going to give an account as far as how we lived uh, with, and, and how we used our bodies to exalt Christ or not <coughs> on this earth. About four years earlier, Paul had written some piercing words in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Read it to you from the New Living Translation. It says, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Paul knew that he was going to face Christ. He didn't want to be ashamed of anything. And then I begin to think about this, and I think, well, when we as believers face Christ in judgment, that experience may not always be peaches and cream, amen? It says there in 1 John 2, 28, it says, Now little children abide in him, so that he, when he appears, we may be confident and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. At his coming. It's a scary thought. That says that there will be some who will shrink away and be ashamed. There's going to be some believers who, who, are, who will suffer loss and, 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 and they're going to look like a burned out building. I love this passage in 1 Corinthians three twelve through 15. Now, if any man builds on a fountain with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. I don't know about you, but I don't want any of those burned up. I don't want to be a hollow, burnt-out building. And this is what Paul is meaning here. He didn't want to be ashamed when he stood before Christ. He didn't want to be ashamed of anything when he stood before his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He wants to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. He wants to know that he has presented and committed his body and himself to exalting Christ Jesus. That should be our goal. That should be who we are as children in Christ. He loved Christ with all of his heart because of what Christ had done for him. He knew it. And because of that, his expectation and hope was for Christ to be magnified. That's it. He wanted Christ to be honored both in his life and in his death. <laughs> Above all, he didn't want to be ashamed when he stood before his wonderful Lord. 
Luke 9, 23 through 25. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try hanging on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. How important of a passage is that? He's telling us, don't you love God, how honest he is with us? He says, I'm going to tell you something. There's something you've got to hear. If you want to follow me, you've got to turn away from your selfish ways. You've got to quit only worrying about yourself. You've got to quit worrying about your inconveniences. You've got to quit worrying about your trials and temptations. You've got to quit worrying about all these things that are me, me, me. You've got to start worrying about some other people out there. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to take up your cross daily. What does that mean? To exalt Christ in your bodies. To live a life for Jesus Christ. And only for Jesus Christ. As best as we can, getting better and better at it every day. He says, you've got to take up your cross daily. You've got to follow me. We must be followers of Christ, not of self. And too often, Christians, we're following ourselves. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. That's a scary sentence right there. But he says, hey, don't try to hang on to it. Lose it for Christ, and you'll gain eternal life. You'll gain eternal life. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're very familiar with it. I'm going to hit on it a couple times here in just the next few minutes. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, listen to this, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect." You've heard me say it many times about this passage. That had to have freaked these people out. A living sacrifice? We've only known a sacrifice by blood and by death. What do you mean a living sacrifice? <coughs> Maybe it just means die to yourself. Quit being selfish. Quit living for yourself and live for Christ, your Lord and Savior. He gave his life. He died for us. Do we say that so much as Christians that it loses the importance, that it loses the meaning? Yeah, Jesus died for me. He died. Horrible, miserable, suffering death. He paid the ultimate price. May we never, never take that for granted. And may we be those living sacrifices. May we exalt Christ in our bodies every day. Verse 21 says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We love that verse. We can quote it frontwards and backwards. It's our life verses, yet our lives don't live it. See, the great Christian believer has one great commitment in life and death, and that is Jesus Christ. It's our great commitment. See, Paul says two really phenomenal things here, some two strong statements. First, he says, to me, to live is Christ. What did he mean by that? I think he means, I can think of at least five things I want to share this morning with you. I think the first thing he means is that he did present his body as that living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul did. Everything else went to the side. Everything else went away. He was committed to be a living sacrifice to Christ. Do you see the living sacrifice that Paul was? 
again. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. He's saying, I beseech you. God is a merciful God. God is the God who sent his son to die for you on the cross. And I urge you, present your bodies a living. And get this, not even just a living, but a living and holy sacrifice. A living and holy sacrifice. Acceptable to God. And then he follows it up and says, which is your spiritual service of worship. You know what that means? That's the minimum. That's just something that goes along. It's not something great. It's basically, you know what, Christian? This man died for you. He paid the ultimate price for you. He gave it all for you. He gave up heaven to live here, to be an example for us. He did it all. The least you can do is be a living and holy sacrifice. Let us quit taking that as such a great thing that we do. It's minimum. It's minimum. You know what else he did? He struggled to yield all the parts of his body, every member of his body, to Christ and to be a tool for righteousness. Romans 6, 12, 13 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the, numbers of your me- the, the, me- <laughs> presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I'm saying, quit living a dead life. You've been given abundant life. How about you live it? But that abundant life has been given to you by Christ and only by Christ. He says, you live that life. You live that life because God has delivered you from death into life. And let every part of you be taken. Yield every part of your body to glorify Christ, to exalt him in your body. Paul also struggled to control his mind. He wanted to to control every thought that he had. He wanted to focus every thought on Jesus Christ and the great virtues of life. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 10.5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. You want to be a living and holy sacrifice? Take every thought captive for the obedience of Christ. We all know Philippians 4.8, right? Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, of, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. We take our thoughts captive and we think of Christ. We are devoted and committed to Him. But I also believe Paul committed himself to the work for, for love and justice within all of society. See, don't you love that Paul wasn't selective? Paul wanted everybody to know Christ. It didn't matter who they were. Matthew seven twelve says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want, to treat your, you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Matthew twenty two thirty nine says, the, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The only way we're going to get the gospel out is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And understand, this isn't just the neighbor living next door to you. It's your neighbors in your community. 
Here's another thing Paul did. He gave his life. Every single moment of his life was used to reach and to minister to as many people as he could. As he went through this journey, he wanted to reach everybody for Christ. John 20, 21. So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. If you are a child of God, Jesus says, I have been sent by the Father and you are being sent as well. You're being sent as well. Acts 1.8, we know it, but you will receive power. I, I always have to stop right there. <coughs> Did you see that? That's a promise. He says you will receive power. What you do with that power, I guess, is up to you. We can either quench it or we can let it go. We can use it. We can, we can take that power that he has given us through the Holy Spirit and we can use it to complete our mission on this earth. He says, for to you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. You want to be that witness that God has called you to be? Then take that power that you have been promised, that you have received, that lives within you if you are a follower of Christ and use it to reach this community. I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. There's no reason these chairs shouldn't be full. And the reason they're the reason they're not full is we need to begin to look at ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, am I being what God has called me to be? Am I doing what God has called me to do? Or am I just in this for myself? So what does life mean to us? And I start to think about this. Why, why am I living a life? What does life mean to me? <coughs> why am I even living? I know what my call, if I'm a Christian, is. I know what it is. But, but what's this great purpose in life that I have or maybe that I, maybe I, I, I kind of put out there for the world to see? Are they seeing that I live for money and for possessions? Because if I'm living for money and possessions, clothing, homes, cars, property, those kind of things, if that's what I'm living for, then I have to begin to think, well, in a few years when I die, and that is if I die of natural causes, maybe there could be an accident, there could be some kind of disease. But when I do that... What am I going to do when I lose all that? When that day comes, and it's coming, folks, it's coming for all of us. There's really nothing in heaven or earth that can stop us from this body dying. If we've lived for money, let me ask you something. When you die, what good is that going to do for you? I want to tell you, I've done a lot of funerals. I've seen some good that it can do. It really buys you a really nice casket because the world will take advantage of what you've left behind. They want a piece of it. <coughs> told my wife when I die, cardboard box is good for me. I'd rather be thrown in the river. That's legal. Could you see Becky out throwing me in the river? I figure them fish have been feeding me. I want to feed them back, right, Jim? It's got a really bad picture in my head <laughs> about all the help that Becky would have throwing me in the river. Because <laughs> my men, they say they got my back. <laughs> Becky won't even have to lift me up, right? Hey, guys, he's dead. Let's get him. Lyle, your day's coming, buddy. How about if you're living for comfort? 
How about if what we're living for is that comfort level? It's a good job. It's a, it's a nice place to live. We have plenty to eat, enough money to do whatever we want, and that retirement. We're living for that. That's all we're focused on. If so, what happens again if that disease comes or an accident or some kind of stra- uh, uh, tragedy strikes and old age comes in? It can't be stopped. But if all we've done is live for comfort, what good will it do us at that point? What about if we're living for a position, for a title, for, 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 uh, for something like that? What happens when you're edged out or you're removed or you're demoted or transferred or bypassed? Maybe you face, again, disease or accident. Something happens that takes you out of gut. What has that position done for you? What if you're living for family? See, now it gets a little bit harder. What if all you're doing is living for family? And, and, and what happens when that family maybe is transferred or moved away? Or maybe there's kind of something that happens with the family members and, and maybe there's, there's some internal strife. Maybe a family member dies. What good will family do you when you face Christ? Maybe you're living for recognition. You're, you're living for power and honor and popularity. Maybe it's about recreation and gratification, sensuality, whatever those kind of things are. What do you do again when the crisis of life come? And in the end, you come face to face with death. What has any of that done for you when you stand before God? It's questions we need to ask. And maybe when we begin to see the reality and the truth behind it, maybe then and only then will we become living and holy sacrifices for Jesus Christ. Maybe then we'll see that I'm not getting anywhere living for myself. I'm not making a difference living for myself. And when I stand before Jesus and I say, but Jesus, my family was so important. But Jesus, look, I was the CEO, man. And he says, depart from me for I never knew you. Brings me to the second point. Paul declares that to die is gain. (laughs) I want to tell you something. He knew better than to base his life on those kind of things. Paul knew that everything on the earth was aging. He knew that it's passing away. And he knew it included himself. And in fact, he may be dying soon. So what does Paul do? Paul reaches out for his Savior. Paul says, "I, I, I need a Savior. I'm going to live for this Savior. He needs this this Savior who can save him and give him this eternal life that he's promised. This eternal world that will never pass away, that will never age. It's the reason he grabbed a hold of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's only begotten Son. Amen? Jesus is God's only begotten Son who was sent to this world to reveal the truth that we we were looking for, to reveal the truth to us that, that, guess what? There's another world for us. It's called heaven. And that world is permanent. It has no corruption, no aging. It will never pass away. So Paul grabs a hold of Christ and he finds out that Christ saves him from his sin, death, and condemnation. He finds out that Christ makes it possible for him to live forever with God in the new heavens and new earth. John 5.24, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sin, but they have already passed from death into life. They have already passed from death into life. What does it say? 
those who believe in him, those who give him their life. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live. Remember when he talked about when if you lose your life, you will gain it? I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Jesus. That's Paul being this committed Christian. That's Paul saying, all of these things that I've seen, all these things that I've done that, I'm, that, that are so important, it's all about Christ. It has nothing to do with me. Paul says, I will be that living and holy sacrifice. I guess that brings me to the question, will I? Will you? Will we become that church, that person who lives that life and will go out of here today and begin to really make a difference? Or will we just go back into our world and let things be the same? And if we do, what good do they do you when you die? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our day. Again, Lord, your scriptures are tough. Paul, is, he's explaining this commitment that we need to have for you. And Father, I see it. It's so important. And Lord, it, it's, it's so fun, I guess, to read your scripture and to, to examine it and, and let it speak to our hearts. And I pray that that's what we're doing today. God, I want to be that kind of believer. I want to be that Christian like Paul is giving his testimony about. I want, I want to be that. Father, take away our excuses. Don't let us have them anymore. Let us take a hard look at our life today. Help us to answer that question, what or who am I living for? And God, if the answer is not you, help us. Help us to turn away from ourselves. Help us to turn away from anything else that puts you second or third or even last in our lives. Help us to put you first. God, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.